Hello and welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. So let's meet today's guests. I'm delighted to introduce Vicky Davies, CEO of Danske Bank and also the new chair of business in the community Northern Ireland, and Tomas Flyer, EMEA diversity and inclusion partner at Google. Now, in this episode, we're taking a deep dive into workplace inclusion. How can businesses ensure that everyone's voice is heard? And we'll hear what companies are doing to help their people, whatever their circumstances. So let's get into the conversation. Vicky, Tomas, welcome to The Lens. Good morning, Sarah, and good morning to everybody listening. Delighted to be here today. So I'm originally Welsh, scientist by background in terms of training at university, but I've always been fascinated by the world of, of business and started my career as a management consultant, uh, did a master's in business. Whilst I was doing that, I met a young man from Northern Ireland. And that is what brought me to Northern Ireland 20 years ago. Always loved banking and always been interested in banking. What banks do for people really makes a difference. We help people buy their first home. We help communities develop. We help businesses to grow. We help people in the good times, but also the more challenging times. And so when I moved to Northern Ireland, I started fulsomely my career in banking. And then 12 years ago, I moved to Danske Bank and worked my way through the executive sort of levels, became deputy CEO in 2019 and CEO in 2021. So Danske Bank, uh, Northern Ireland's largest bank, we have 1,300 colleagues and we support 450,000 people and businesses across Northern Ireland. In fact, next year is our 200-year anniversary, so we are just part of the fabric of the community in Northern Ireland. We also do a few bits and pieces in the wider UK, but really proud to support families, businesses and communities across the province here locally. Thank you. We'll move on to Tomas, who's joining us from Barcelona, I believe, with a sea view outside of his window. Lucky him. Tomas, let's position you, I suppose, to the world. Your job is EMEA Inclusion Lead and Diversity Business Partner for, wait for it, Spain, Italy and Portugal for Google USA. So how did this all come about? First of all, thank you for having me, Sarah. It's a privilege and honour to be here with you and with Vicky. I've been a DEI practitioner for over... 10 years right now, because I have always worked on advancing DEI in every role I had within Google and outside of Google. I started at Google 12 years ago in sales in Argentina, where I am from. That's why the thick accent. And then I did marketing for Google Cloud from Brazil, which actually like Vicky, I also moved because of love, because my wife is Brazilian. Then I led product marketing or Google Photos, then yes, in California. And I finally moved 100% of my time to do my dream job, which is what I see now, which is a diversity, equity, and inclusion team, where we are working to build a more inclusive, a more equitable company for everyone. And I've been doing that for the past five years in the US. And I recently moved, as you mentioned, to Spain, where I'm a leader in the inclusion team for the EMEA region, which comprises Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So obviously, DEI and and the inclusion agenda is, as you've just very eloquently explained, it's what makes you tick. It's something that's hugely important to you. So Vicky, let's uh, just talk a little bit about what inclusion looks like in Danske Bank. And personally, what drives you to make sure that 
everyone is heard at work. Sarah, so at the heart of our approach to inclusion in Danske Bank is our affinity networks. We are so proud of our four affinity networks focused on gender, rainbow, enable, uh, and origin. And these are colleague-led. And the purpose of our affinity networks is to ensure that everyone across the whole organization feels that they're included and they belong. And it's been such a joy over the last few years to see these affinity networks grow, to multiply, to be challenging, to not seek permission, to be positively agitating for change for colleagues, for their families and wider society. So they have been a huge driving force of our approach to be a more inclusive place to work. The second key aspect of it really relates to our core values. And one of our key values is about being open. For me, it means a place a place to work where everybody feels that their voice is going to be heard, feels comfortable to share what's working, but also what's not working. And when I stepped up to the CEO role, I really put that at the heart of my approach, partly because that's my personality to be really quite down to earth and really sort of open. But I passionately believe that colleagues themselves have pretty much all of the ideas about how to make their work a better place. And so that has been at the heart of of our approach. And that approach about being open just goes much wider than me as a CEO. It goes to the executive team, the board, and we have a number of ways to engage with colleagues around listening groups, hackathons, colleague connections, staff forums, you name it. So we are hearing the voices of the people who really matter. And that's then been the driving force for making our organization more inclusive because if you start and you listen and you learn, you can take action. Finally, for me, it's all about measurement. We subscribe to a survey, best place to work survey, to really help us measure. We're actually making progress and that's given us great insight on on where we've made great progress and, and areas we still need to make more progress on. Tomas, I wonder, would you be able to talk to us a little bit about how you grew up? My experience joining this work has been mainly from a privileged approach. Like I grew up very, very aware of my dominant identities as a white presenting cis straight man. And uh, I grew up having a lot of opportunities that others do not have in Argentina. Like most of Argentina, most of half of Argentina is poor. I could like study, I could travel, I could work. And I was always very, very aware of those privileges. So I made it my life purpose to learn how to use those privileges to empower others to dismantle this system. When we are talking about systems, actually what we are talking about is people, right? Like, for example, at Google, when we are talking about the inclusive workplace, it means that everyone feels they belong and can untap their full potential at work. It's the how we work, right? It's not only promoting diversity that we've been talking about that for like many, many years, but it's not only being at the table, but actually ensuring that those voices are heard, those voices are valued, like Vicky was mentioning right now. We can actually co-create our norms, our decisions, our pro- products, because everybody wants to feel they belong. Everybody should feel they matter. And at Google, we believe that real inclusion means that, that exactly, that every employee, all of the employees, feels valued because they are unique because their unique background and perspective, not in spite of them. Specifically on my job, what I do is systemic change, meaning changing the processes. I work with both executives because inclusive leadership 
is one of the key leverage points and we need to make change from the top, but also from the grassroots. As Vicky was mentioning, the affinity groups at Google are called employee resource groups or ERGs. And through ERGs, I work a lot because we can support and empower underrepresented communities because they are essential, not only in creating a sense of belonging, but also in co-creating our internal practices. For example, we recently launched uh, two years ago the Interbelief Network, which is interreligious ERG. We have 17 ERGs now at Google, and the Interbelief Network has over 8,000 members. And they, the Muslims group have helped us change Google search and have the Muslims prayer times based on where you are in the world. Or uh, the Buddhists, we added Tibetan language thanks to them to Google Translate and so on. We have a ton of examples on how actually the ERGs help us build better products and have a more inclusive and equitable workplace for all. And it's not that it's not that you're talking religion all of the time. It's about respect for the cultures and the religion and the different cultures that make up the workforce. 100%. And if we think about it, for people who are religious or have strong beliefs, it is one of their salient identities. And if we preach that we want employees to bring their full self or the best selves to work, they cannot check that part of the identity out, out of the door. So being able to safely, if you need to pray, to have your space to pray, you don't have to go outside of the building. If you like, for example, at Google, we offer food. Well, if you're Jewish, you need like kosher food. If you're Muslim, you need halal food. And like being able to have a fully inclusive workplace means embracing the important part of everyone's selves. And Vicky, Tomas has just outlined the importance there of making sure that everyone is heard. What personally drives you and how do you make sure that everyone is heard? Yeah, Tomas has has shared some uh, great examples. And for me, it's a very personal part to who I am. My brother was born physically disabled and one of my sons has autism. Diversity has been a huge part of my family circle. Um, That has hugely influenced me to want to make sure from whatever perspective that I can do everything I can to help people feel that, that they are included and in the CEO role, that's particularly important. I take the responsibility. I have to be a role model very seriously to just to show how it's important that everybody from whatever background, with whatever challenges, with whatever opportunities, is everyone's given the same opportunity or equal opportunity to to really make the very best of themselves and and, and what they want to achieve in their life and uh, and their work. And how does that impact inclusive recruitment now at Danske? How are we making sure that those barriers to work that perhaps existed or or still exist for many, maybe around uh, disabled people, refugees, maybe education leavers, homeless people, people with criminal convictions? Yeah, we really think about how do we make sure our recruitment practices and policies, and and even the most simplest, the adverts, um, really try to take what would have been historical biases out of those processes. And that's a you know, continuing journey for us. One of the things that, that we've done recently that's made a big impact and, and colleagues have really embraced is how do we actually support people in our communities with learning disabilities, uh, with autism and with other disabilities to, to come and work and get job placements in the bank. And we're really lucky in Northern Ireland to have 
uh, great organizations, Stepping Stones and Now are two of them that we've partnered with to help. And we've brought in a number of people into the organization. And what has been fantastic is those haven't just been short-term work placements, but they've often led to a permanent job within the bank. These are some of the things that we are working on to really you know, make a tangible difference. There's still so much to do. If I think about challenges facing all of our communities and people at the moment, how do we support customers and and colleagues who perhaps come from areas that have had really challenging circumstances, the war in Ukraine? We've got people locally struggling with cost of living. And how do we support customers who are really challenged by that? A bank provides a a vital role in the community. and, And it's been really heartbreaking over the last number of years to see how many people come and engage with us who may be being the victims of financial abuse or domestic abuse or gambling or, or addictions. And I think that's a huge part of inclusivity that, you know, as an organization, we're well set up to help support people across Northern Ireland who might be facing some of those challenges. And we've really found external partnerships really helpful. And it's one of the things that actually makes me most proud is the empathy of my colleagues in, you know, helping customers in those kind of situations. And Tomas, Google, it's a global brand, invests a huge amount of time and resources into taking care of its people. I understand there are 150 people working in your team alone. That's genuine investment that comes from the top down. But do you still have people who push back or is it is everybody of the same mindset? No, there's not everybody that's the same mindset, of course. But at the same time, I think like 10 years ago, when when I started working on, uh, with DEI, we had to make the business case over and over again. Today, I think it's pretty clear for most of companies and certainly inside of Google. As you said, like we are more than 150 people working full-time on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So it is very clear for us that if we don't intentionally include, we will unintentionally exclude. And we understand, as you just said, that building an inclusive culture requires an active and a continuous investment. Now, to your point, why we are investing so much on this? First, it's the right thing to do. As Vicky was sharing before in her introduction, how Danske Bank is part of the fabric of the organization. Well, all companies are part of societies, so they have a role to play. This idea that companies are only there to make money is anachronic, obsolete. Second, is not only the right thing to do, but it's good for business. Again, over and over again, we have these BCG McKinsey studies showing us how diverse mix of voices brings more innovation, better decisions, more money, more revenue. The last McKinsey study, which I think is the most comprehensive, in my opinion, and biggest data set, companies with diverse leadership teams outperform by over 25% the companies with less diversity. But it's not only on representation on diversity, but also inclusion. I was reading an HBR, Harvard Business Review, recent study showing how employees that feel they belong are 56% more productive, 50% higher retention. And on the flip side, we have a lot of internal data and also external data showing how if you have low sense of belonging, your performance is going to be lower and then the retention is going to be lower. And that makes total sense. It's logical. If you feel you don't belong, you don't matter, then you are not going to go like above and beyond because you don't have that psychological safety. At Google, we try to focus a lot. Is this idea of product inclusion and how actually at Google, We have more than nine products with more than 1 billion users. Basically, our slogan is built for everyone. Well, 
we believe that to build for everyone, we need to do it with everyone. That's why the product inclusion team led by Annie Jean-Baptiste ensures that every product team has a diversity of voices throughout the product development process, from ideation to UX research to launch, and has this idea of developing solution with inclusion in mind, meaning develop solutions centering audiences that are not always the usual suspects that we uh, develop for. And this is called universal design. And it's called universal design because actually, if you develop products with inclusion in mind, it benefits all. At Google, an example is how we develop with the Disability Alliance ERG, the YouTube closed captions, automatic closed captions for people who for hearing disabilities. But actually today, English is clearly not my first language. And for me and for millions of people, like we use the closed caption automatic um, feature because it helps us understand better the videos. So that's why to finalize, at Google, we don't want underrepresented communities, historically marginalized group. We need them for, to build better products, better businesses, and build a better and more inclusive culture. Well, Vicky, I mean, Tomas uh, beautifully outlined there why diversity is so good for business, not uh, just for the bottom line, but for the culture and that universal design with diversity applied against everything. Maybe it's a product, maybe it's how we do banking. Is that something that's that's filtered through Danske now whenever you're doing any task? Are you thinking diversity? Absolutely. And Tomas's passion there was just so evident. And what a great example about how Google are bringing diversity into the design process. As the largest bank in Northern Ireland, our customer base is reflective of entirety of society, being diverse, being inclusive, um, whether that's people's uh, gender, sexuality, background, the challenges they're facing at home, the challenging circumstances that we talked about earlier in terms of financial abuse. There's so many. And so really educating our colleagues across the banks so that they can really be as inclusive in their language when they engage with customers is a huge priority for us. And the way that we try to think about it, that is partnering with external organizations because we'll never have all of the answers ourselves so we partner with the likes of GAMCARE to really understand gambling abuse. We partner with the likes of HNI to understand what are the challenges in terms of getting older and how are we more inclusive when we speak to some of our more elderly customers. We talked earlier about stepping stones and now for people with disabilities. So we found that as being a bit of a, a secret source in terms of educating our colleagues so that we can be as inclusive as we can when we deal with our customer base. And obviously, uh, Vicky Danske Bank was named Northern Ireland Responsible Company of the Year in 2019. There are so many areas that you're obviously incredibly proud of. And just talking there about the challenges also that employees can face and, and those curveballs that life can throw at you at various times, just to know that you're supported through that time by your company. Well, it's an incredible feeling and also empowering employees to help create policies as well. Is that something that you involve people to be that change that you want to see in the organisation? 
Absolutely. That co-creation for our policies, and we see it in a couple of different dimensions. So our colleagues help co-create our policies for themselves. So we recently learned new policies on menopause or caring or grandparents leave. And that has really come as a result of colleague feedback and colleagues helping shape the policies for themselves. Because then, you know, you're hitting the spot. If colleagues have told you, what are the circumstances they're facing? And how do we adjust as a workplace and, and, and a great employer? And then also colleagues helping to develop um, propositions and solutions for customers, similar to what Tomas was talking about, and thinking about if maybe you are partially sighted, how do you access banking services? If maybe you find some of the language that banks traditionally would have used more challenging, and we think about that, and we think about then the practical solutions to help. So one of the big programs that's been a huge success for us has been financial education for young people. Because if we can educate young people how to manage their money when they're young, and I was actually in my son's school a few weeks ago delivering a financial education program. I'm not sure he was that delighted to have his mum in the school, (laughs) but apparently it went fine. We educated over 7,000 young people last year. If we can help people get off to a good start in managing their money, that will stay with them through their lives. I love what Vicky is sharing on the point of menopause, actually. It shows how we are trying to solve something that as a society we haven't solved. Like, for example, menopause, most of the population will go or go through menopause, but the taboo or the level of awareness there is so low. And at Google right now, for example, like we're working with uh, Greg Lairs, which is for the group for the older Google employees, and women at as well, on understanding how can we raise awareness for managers, for colleagues, for everyone on menopause, and how can we better support folks that will go through menopause or are going through menopause? How can we uh, support with work flexibility or healthcare providers with specialized on menopause? And I was talking with my mom about that, and it was a huge deal for her and very disruptive. And in my own blind spot, and as a society, since we don't discuss those kind of things, like I didn't have a clue that's why it's so important as a society to have this debate. Many people think that DEI is about policing and council culture, but actually it's the opposite. It's talking about this. It's putting race, ageism, uh, gender on the table, and let's discuss about that more. I couldn't agree with Tomas more. I think at the start of, of developing an inclusive culture is exactly as Tomas has said. It's just listening and learning. He talked about listening to his mum. I remember talking to my brother with his physical disability. And he said, if you look at a lot of icons for disabled people, it's, it's always somebody in a wheelchair. My brother sometimes uses a wheelchair, but he helped me understand years ago that disability is much wider than that. Menopause is another, is another brilliant example. We've recently got hundreds of colleagues together and actually a third of them were men. And just listening to stories, listening to stories of colleagues who've come out or family members. And just because the more we listen, the more educated we become, the, the better allies we can be. So That's a huge part of it for me, sharing experiences and learning from them. Absolutely. And I suppose that's a great time to to bring in uh, the subject of allyship. Let's talk about why it's so important. And I think it again, it goes back to that feeling that everyone needs to feel seen, supported and connected and not just to be invited to the table, but to to feel welcome. But what if you're nowhere near the table, Tomas? How do you get there? Who does it for you? How do you become an ally? What I would say is, First of all, in my opinion, we should treat allyship not as a noun, but as a verb. It's a practice, as you were saying, like even if you are not part of the the group that in that particular context is being othered 
excluded or oppressed, that means that you have some privilege in that case. And we need to learn how to use that privilege as power, not to shy away from that. For example, if I would have other identities, for example, if I would be a woman of color, I would have worked 10 times more to get where I am today. Or the idea of the pay gap in the US, I earn 21 cents more on the dollar than a woman. That means that uh, the systems favors me. And it's not that I actively, uh, I was oppressing or doing that on purpose, but I benefited from the system. So in, instead of shying away from that, it's important to acknowledge it, to visibilize it, visibilize it, and to understand what can I do with those 21 cents more. And we need to understand this relational dynamic between oppression and privilege. One exists because the other exists. It's a relational dynamic. Like sexism, for example, if we want to dismantle sexism, it's not a problem of women that they have to solve it. It's everyone's responsibility because either you benefit or either you are other than excluded by these systems of oppression. Since we are all part of these societies and these systems, we all have a responsibility towards them. And the last point is on power and risk. Not only the power, but also like stepping on it and practicing allyship means taking risks. If you don't feel you are taking a risk, then probably like you are not pushing yourself or pushing the conversation enough. I suppose it's turning that risk into an opportunity. Vicky, can I bring you in there to talk about allyship? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And and I really love Tomas's analogy about taking the risk and actually the different level of risk. For me at its heart, allyship is just doing the right thing, standing up for the for the fair treatment of others. And for me, it's essential for an inclusive society. And you can take different forms. It can be done quietly, it can be done more loudly. But I think about it as listening and learning and using your voice or your actions for good. It's just thinking about not letting that moment go where you can use your voice for good or quietly say something when something hasn't been as it should. And that's something that we work really hard on the bank and we approach it as well as individuals across our affinity networks. So we perhaps started our affinity networks where we had our rainbow network doing one set of actions, our disability network doing another, our gender, et cetera. But now the support amongst themselves, that intersectionality is increasingly important um, and that can only build and, and foster an even more inclusive place to work. So again, a lot of people feel a little bit like that, don't they? That I would like to intervene, I would like to do something, but I don't want to get it wrong. So you're saying, Tomas, you will get it wrong and that's okay too. 100%. But when you get it wrong, it's important to have the vulnerability to focus on why my intentions were that were this. The impact was this. So I need to own my mistakes, learn from them, so we don't repeat it. Like moving from this idea of golden rule of treat others as you want to be treated to platinum rule of treat others as they want to be treated. And that requires learning. So at this point in the conversation, I would love to know if you've any questions you'd like to ask each other. Vicky, have you any for Tomas? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. The passion is just so evident. Thomas, have you had any advice for me to pick a few pearls of wisdom from things that you've seen work in a global organization that could come local? What, what guidance would you give me? That's a great and very <laughs> tough question. This idea of global, right? Like, yes, we need to have these global principles these global milestones, but at the same time, understand the local context. I think many times, more important than what you do 
in the AI is how you do it. And one of the principles that we need to follow is this idea of differentiated strategies. What works in one country might not work on another one. And that's like a lot of the learnings that I have is from mistakes that we've done. Many times we see, oh, okay, we, we could empower the indigenous communities and the Navajo communities in the United States, and it worked this intervention. But then maybe it doesn't work for the Quechua community in Latin America. And that's something that is very, very important. Whenever we want to empower or serve any community, we need to do it in partnership with that community. Nothing about us without us. Because many, many times we want to jump into solution, but maybe it is not what the community wants. So it takes longer, but it is incredibly important to understand the local context, the local nuances, to see what's going to be effective and what the community wants. And yes, there are systems of oppression that are global, like racism is global. But the experience of being a Black Nigerian, Black Brazilian, or a, a Black American, it's different. And we need to acknowledge and understand those differences by partnering and doing the work with and not just for. And Tomas, what about a question for Vicky? My question is around inclusive leadership. And it's a big challenge that for me is very hard to understand how we can tackle it, which is how do you ensure middle managers live by your company's values and promote those norms and ways of working that you are sharing? Like you are clearly like a value-driven person. But many times I see middle managers, middle managers ending up having lots of power and there can be a disconnect with their top leaders in both awareness and sometimes even in their commitment in advancing an inclusive culture. Yeah, great question, Tomas. And there's a couple of different ways I, I think about it. First is the importance of, of the role modeling, because I do think if you can get it right near the top of the organization, that that does filter t- through. Then I think it's about giving people across all levels of the organization, including middle uh, managers, uh, more junior colleagues, more senior colleagues, the ability to come together and connect and learn. Because I think it's one thing seeing a role model, but if you're part of it and middle management um, can touch and feel and see the difference that they're making, I, I think that has a compounding positive effect. And, and then I think about it in terms of new companies, particularly like uh, talking about performance management, but it's an important tool for many organizations. And when we think about that, we try to value and reward our people, not just on what they do, but how they do it. And that those two have equal weighting. Um, and I think that is also a critical component for us in making sure that you get the top down um, sort of role modeling. You got the experience from being part of our inclusive activities, but also there's an expectation how you do things is as important as what you do. I love what you're saying, especially on the performance management, because it, it, it is linked to accountability. Yeah, that, that's such an important factor. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, celebrating that good practice and success is so important too. So final question then uh, for both of you. It's one that I ask all the guests on the lens, but as responsible leaders, what are you personally committed to doing more of or less of in the coming year? Thomas, I've been trying to develop a daily pledge to take a beat, to proactively make space for others so we can co-create our understanding of reality. I tend to jump into solution mode very, very quickly on what we should or shouldn't do in a certain context. 
And what this journey taught me is that we don't all see reality as it is, but our own identities and experiences shape the way we codify reality. That's why I love the name of your podcast, Sarah, because we all have one lens. And the only way to really understand it and understand reality is by ensuring we are collectively decoding our reality. Love that, Thomas. Okay, Vicky, same question to you. So in terms of what I'm committed to do, so probably three things. One, to keep listening, because keeping listening in the, in the CEO will guide you. And I do passionately believe colleagues have the answer to almost everything in our business. And that is a secret to becoming an even more inclusive place. Climate change, we haven't touched on that much today, but the biggest challenge of our generation and a huge focus for us at, at Danske in partnership with BITC. Finally, and probably a new one for me this year is I'm absolutely thrilled to have stepped up to be the advisory chair of Business and the Community Northern Ireland. So really looking forward to the role that I can play building on the team's fantastic work to bring businesses together, because I do believe so many businesses are doing fantastic things, but if we can work even more closely together, we can amplify our impact. So that's a new challenge for me for the year ahead. I must say it's been a really brilliant episode of The Lens. Thank you so much to Vicky Davies, CEO at Danske Bank, and of course, the new Chair of Business in the Community in Northern Ireland, and Tomas Flyer, EMEA Diversity and Inclusion Partner at Google's. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Thank you to my guests. You've been listening to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. And if your business would like help with workplace inclusion issues, please do visit www.bitc.org.uk for lots of help and advice. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and tune in next time.